Thank you, Julie. Morning, everyone. Good to see you all. And this morning, we've got money as our topic, which is the, uh, the thing, one of the things we're told that shouldn't be uh, mentioned in polite company. But uh, we are going to mention it this morning so you can draw your own conclusions about that. <laughs> and in our society today, we really can't live without money, it can be. But sometimes it's also quite difficult to live with it. And as George Harrison once said, and he knew a thing or two about money, he said, with each additional £100 comes an extra £100 worth of problems. And we all know, or we're certainly told, we may have said it, that money can't make us happy. And uh, another great social commentator, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, said a few years ago about money, he said, I now have $50 million dollars but I was just as happy when I had 48 million. (laughs) So think about that. And money acts as a powerful force on all of our lives, doesn't it? And for many of us, it can dominate if we're not careful. We think about it, we talk about it, we dream about it, we go after it, we worry about it, and sometimes we even pray about it. But if we're careful, if we're not careful, it can become a little bit like a God for us. And in fact, whatever dominates our thinking, whether it's money or work or relationships or God himself, whatever dominates our thinking, that is, in fact, our God. And it's certainly become a God in the Western world, hasn't it? Money. Because it promises us so much. Things like uh, homes, technology, fancy cars... I thought I should put, uh, since uh, the, f- the fancy cars were perhaps more for the men, although I know some women like fancy cars, stick in a Gucci handbag as well. Uh, apparently money can buy Gucci handbags too. And money promises these things, but more than that, it promises what these things offer. The, uh, the story behind them, if you like. All that, is, all that goes with these possessions. So the sense of security. A bigger house means I'll be secure or freedom in a flashy car. Power, influence, status, acceptance, lifestyle. It whispers that with me you can be anything you want to be. If only you will bow down and worship. And too often that God, the God of money, slips into the church as well, doesn't it? And in our passage today, Jesus gives them some really practical advice on how we should handle our money, And uh, if you want to turn to page 971, for those of you who aren't already there, uh, we're going to look through these few verses that Jesus talks to us, uh, entitled Treasures in Heaven. And what he does in this is Jesus lays before us in the first three verses two alternative investment strategies, and then he calls us to a radical devotion to God. So let's look at verses 19 to 21. And Jesus here is essentially saying, invest well. Invest your lives for a high return, for the highest possible return. Don't store up your treasures on earth, but store up your treasures in heaven. And a few caveats, I guess, before we get here. Jesus and the Bible as a whole doesn't teach that it's wrong to have money. We don't have to sell all of our possessions. The Bible doesn't teach it's wrong even to invest money. There's the parable that Jesus tells, the parable of the talents, about wise investment of money. It's not wrong to save money. If you look at Proverbs chapter 6, the animal 
that the writer of the Proverbs chooses uh, as an example of what it means to save money is the ant. And there's a whole uh, uh, few verses in Proverbs chapter 6 about the ant as an example to us of saving money. And it's not wrong to enjoy money either, is it? And enjoy all the things that money can buy us. As Paul says to Timothy in uh, his uh, first letter, that God has given us everything richly for our enjoyment. And so much can be done with the wise use of money, from providing for our families or caring for those who are on the margins of society, investing in the local church, or giving for the advance of the gospel in places where Jesus' name has never been heard. And so here what Jesus is doing, he is looking at how we use our money, but it does go deeper than that. It's about our heart motivation behind our spending patterns. So it's less on the specific detail of how much should I spend on that new pair of shoes and more on where is my heart in relation to my bank balance. And it's a warning against storing up treasures on earth. So not a warning against having money or having possessions, but a warning against storing them up on earth, against the love of money, if you like, against placing our security or our hope in money, against saving money for no other purpose than simply to have more money. It's a warning against making money our God. And in these first few verses, Jesus gives two reasons why it's a bad investment strategy to store up treasures on earth. And the first one is that they can promise security, but in fact can lead to insecurity. They're not safe and they're not eternal. They rust and they wear out. So the stock market tumbles, house prices fall, your new shoes become scuffed, technology becomes obsolete, cars fall apart, banks go bust. These things don't last forever, do they? But the more you have at the moment, the more we can tend to worry, can't we? I remember uh, when I had my least money worries when I was a student uh, living in a shared house, uh, paying a couple of hundred quid rent a month. Uh, and I didn't have any money, and I didn't have any money worries. The more you have, the more you worry. The more of your time and energy it takes as well, doesn't it? The more insurance you have to take out against loss and theft and breakdown and acts of terror and acts of God. And Rockefeller was once asked, how much money does it take for someone to be happy? And uh, obviously, he didn't consult Schwarzenegger, but he replied, he replied just a little bit more. So Jesus says, don't invest your money and your time and effort and energy in earthly treasures because they actually promise so much but can lead to anxiety and insecurity. And he says, secondly, don't do it because they can lead you away from God because where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And if you've ever invested in anything, you'll know what Jesus means by this. You'll know what this is like. If you've invested in a house or got money in the stock market or even you've placed some money on a horse, you've taken a bet, where your money goes, uh, your passion and your heart is right behind, isn't it? As soon as you put your money somewhere, you care deeply, much more deeply about that thing. Where you invest your money, you invest your heart. And as John Stott said, storing up earthly possessions tethers your heart to the earth. And so Jesus warns against investing in earthly treasures, but he says, here's a much, much better way. Store up your treasure in heaven, 
Invest for the highest possible return. Use your money and your life to invest in God's kingdom. Invest in blessing friends and family, in changing people's lives, transforming communities, supporting the local church, caring for the needy, bringing the gospel to the lost. Because if you invest in these these things, they won't be destroyed, but they will last forever. Eternal things that are safe, that can never, ever, ever rust or wear out. And as you invest your money and your time and your life in these things, then your passions will inevitably follow. Your heart will follow. The things, these will be the things you care about, the things you work towards, the things you pray about, the things that matter most to you. And if you invest in treasures in heaven, then your heart, instead of being led away from God, will be led towards God. The things that you invest in, if you invest in treasures in heaven, you'll be devoted to them now. And you'll see the fruit in eternity. This is what Jesus talks to us about being the smart investment strategy. Investing in things that last and in things that matter. Things that will never wear out, never be destroyed, never ever be taken from us. So that's the first thing that Jesus calls us to in the first few verses. To invest our money and to invest our lives well. And then he moves on and calls us to a radical devotion to God. And this is really a continuation, if you like, of the first point. Where our treasure is, there our heart will also be. If our treasure is in the things of God, our heart will go after God as well. And Jesus talks in verse uh, 22 and 23 about the lamp, I being the lamp of the body. And he's challenging us here as to where we focus our sight, where we place our plans, our efforts, our energy. In relation to money, he's challenging us, is it towards God? Or is it towards greed? And when he talks about good eyes and bad eyes, he's not having a sneaky dig at glasses wearers. A bad eye literally here means an evil eye. It means an eye that's focused on ourselves and not on God. An eye that's focused on getting more and more and more for me. And when he talks about having a good eye, it comes from the Greek word meaning single. And it means having a single vision, looking in the right direction. Focusing the right way so that everything else falls into place. And if we look in the right direction, then our lives will tend to go in the right direction as well. Where we look is where we will head. And I remember back in the day when I was 18, a couple of years ago, when I was taking my driving test and uh, driving tests are nervous, nerve-wracking occasions, aren't they? So you, you uh, arrive at the test centre and then uh, you hope that you don't crash the car before you leave the test centre. And you're doing your very, very best driving. Driving for the test that you'll never, ever repeat on the roads. And I did all the right things, three-point turn, reverse parking, all the rest of it. And then you get back to the test centre and you think, I'm not pleased. They seem to make test centres with the, the narrowest entrances ever, don't they? Uh, And so I managed to avoid all of that, park the car, handbrake on, ignition off. And uh, the driving instructor turned to me and he said, uh, lad, he's northeastern, or Martin, or son, or something like that. And he said, you're driving like there's no tomorrow. (laughs) He said, your eyes are fixed on the bonnet of the car. And you need to keep your eyes fixed on the road up ahead. And he said, 
but you're quite a good driver, so you're going to pass anyway. So praise God for that. (laughs) And what we focus our eyes upon, what we turn ourselves towards, this is going to determine the direction in which we go, but it's also going to determine the kind of people that we become. And as C.S. Lewis says, we begin to resemble what we worship. If our eyes are fixed on God, we begin to resemble Jesus, become more like him. If our eyes are fixed, if our heart is fixed on anything else, we begin to resemble that as well. If our eyes are good, our bodies will be full of light as we begin to uh, resemble Jesus more and more. And then the last couple of verses here, he moves on from the uh, eyes and the light and the dark. And he says that you can't serve two masters. And he outlines, comes into land by outlining two possible gods and then calls us to commit. And he says quite simply that you cannot serve God and money. Our hearts can only be devoted to one single master. And here in the passage, money is capitalised. Capital M is deliberate there because it literally means mammon. And in the old translations, I think it was, you can't serve God and mammon. And mammon was the god of wealth in ancient Carthage. And as all idols and false gods, they promised the earth. But for this, they demanded sacrifice and required demotion. Uh, Demotion? Devotion. They promised the earth, but yet they delivered so, so little. They delivered emptiness and slavery and anxiety and insecurity. And that's not much different today, is it, when we look at the God of money? There are so many, there are too many who've sacrificed their lives, their health in particular, but relationships as well to worship the God of wealth. You think of the the father who works overtime in the office with the justification that I'm providing for my children when all the children want is fewer toys and more of dad. Or you think of uh, the woman who takes an extra job not because she needs the money, because she wants a better car. Again, at the expense of relationships and health. Money is a fine, fine servant but a tyrannical master. Whatever dominates our thinking, that becomes our God. And if it's money or if it's anything else, then we begin to despise God, as Jesus says. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And the word despise literally means here indifferent or unconcerned. So we might look at this and think, of course I don't despise God. But think about what happens. It may never be a deliberate decision, but we start by storing up treasures on earth, going after things for ourselves rather than for God. And then our eyes, the more treasure we have, then the more we look at it, the more we think about it. Our eyes focus on those earthly possessions. And before we know it, without having made a conscious decision, but a series of small decisions, we've got no room for God and no need for God. God gets squeezed out. Treasures on earth have squeezed him out. So think of buying that new house that needs work. The dream house. 
We've done a lot of DIY on Saturday, and we just want to finish it off on Sunday before we know we've missed church. Or think of whatever it is, the thing that you want at the moment that you can't afford, but you can afford it if you just give a little bit less money away. You can see how subtly it happens, can't you? So we're not despising God. We'd never despise God, but bit by bit, what we focus on becomes our God and it squeezes out our other devotions. Like the parable of the sower, we become unfruitful. The deceitfulness of wealth chokes the life out of God or our life of God. So if this is us, what can we do about it? If we're storing up treasures on earth, if our eyes are bad because they're focused in on ourselves, if money dominates our thinking, then we do need to do something about it. We can't just hear the teaching of Jesus and go away and think that it doesn't matter. We can't serve God and money. We need to break the power of money and possessions over us if this is us, those false promises of security and happiness and freedom. And the best way, and really the only way to do it, is uh, to start giving it away. The antidote to worshipping money is cheerful giving, is holding loosely to our possessions, is giving without expecting something back, is giving knowing that actually what we give might, before we get it back might be used, it might be a little bit battered, and that's okay because we don't hold those things uh, too heavily. If you want a challenge, go and read uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 about the, the Macedonian church. Paul gives the example of the Macedonian church to the church in Corinth. They say, look at these guys. They excel in the grace of giving. They pleaded with me, says Paul, to share in this opportunity to give. And they gave out, uh, they gave far beyond, Paul says, what we thought that they would give. They gave themselves first to the Lord. And as we give away, we'll see how much, we see how much of our hold money has over our lives. We see how much it is our God. And as we pray and we fast today and tomorrow and think about the heart of the community project, which is a, a big financial commitment for us as a church, why don't we also think about where we are personally with our own money and possessions. Just ask the Lord if there is anything that uh, he'd want to put his finger on that we're not honouring him with something that has taken his place, something that we find more security in than we do in the Lord. And as we honour God with our money, as we give God the first and best of what we have, then money loses its hold over our lives. We begin to serve God only. We begin to understand what it means that we can't serve two masters and we commit ourselves to serving only one. So let's take Jesus' teaching to heart and let's opt for that smart investment strategy of storing up our treasures in heaven and not on earth. And as we do that, let's learn what it means to love and serve only one master. Let's pray together.